Welcome back to Second Helping, the top choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. We're back with you after a respite. We're regenerated. We're renovated. <laughs> we're reinvigorated. Pick a re, Brent Boyd, yeah. and we're probably it. Uh, how about it, my friend? It's been a little bit, but certainly a lot still going on in the world of college football, and we'll dabble in some college hoops as well. Oh, it's just been amazing, Trav, what is still going on. Uh, we now pretty much have, uh, what, a handful of teams at least uh, starting spring football practice every week from here on out, so until the end of April when the spring games will end. So, uh, But, yes, just a uh, a little bit of everything. And I, listen, it's a great time of year, frankly. And it, bud, uh, when you think, when you think about, uh, spring football starting, uh, tournaments beginning with college basketball, uh, we're what a couple weeks maybe from the, from the players, uh, here. Uh, we just had the Daytona 500. So, and I know all of that's not college football, but it, it uh, uh, March, I think, is an uh, is an underrated time of year sometimes for sports. Yeah, the Daytona 500, as they say in the <laughs> South, was a bucket list item yes. for years truly, and we checked that off a couple Sundays ago. Had a good time down there. Perfect weather, great race. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, you're right. The players, a big event down in Northeast Florida on the PGA Tour coming up. You know what's interesting to me is that I look at these teams that have already gotten spring practice underway, and I would think the cold-weather teams would start later. But it seems like they start earlier. Boston College, BYU, Nebraska, Pitt. You know, they're already in spring practice. I would think it would sort of go the other way around. I think a lot of teams, right, they take into account their winter workout programs, obviously. There's a calendar that they're working on. And also probably trying to get some guys as healthy as they possibly yes. can coming off last season. I remember when Mike Sheila was in Alabama, he would always start, Trav. Do you remember in February? Yeah. That spring, that spring game was done by the uh, by, by the end of March. There were some really cold, rainy spring games during that time. I, I wonder, to your point, if that tells us what these teams are able to do uh, inside and, and that we've got just uh, uh, probably more than we ever have now, uh, that, that you've got specialty football buildings that you can go inside uh, and be, be able to get some things done. Sure. And, and, and the amazing thing about it is uh, Thursday, March the 3rd, how about uh, Coastal Carolina travel with a spring game? <laughs> you can kind of get away with that in Conway right there near yeah. uh, Myrtle Beach, I guess, from a weather perspective. Mm-hmm. But you're right on the indoor facilities. They're pretty much standard everywhere, especially if you are BC, if you're BYU, if you're Nebraska and Pitt. If you want to be able to get things done in the months of, say, November into December, uh, they're almost a requisite at this point hey brent you know what else before we blink an eye here we're gonna be ready for sec media days i know it's early march and you say man you're gonna talk about something that's still three four months away trust me as we know the off season it seems in college football goes by faster and faster and so it is the sec brent 
making us aware of what the schedule looked like for 2022 SEC football media days? Well, the league is always promoting itself one way or another, and this is another way of doing it. This year, uh, it is in Atlanta. Next year, it's in Nashville. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see where that's going. We've done the Atlanta thing a few years ago. I'm going to be real honest here. Uh, the Atlanta situation, there's a lot about Atlanta I like. I've got, I've got a daughter and son-in-law who live in downtown Atlanta. But for media days, even with the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, it is not always that easy to get around. But um, as far as uh, uh, our fan base listening uh, uh, who enjoy the SEC, uh, LSU Ole Miss Missouri on that first Monday on July the 18th. Nick Saban heads off Tuesday, as he's wont to do when he is there. Uh, Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Wednesdays, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky. Uh, Florida on the third day, and usually the first day, and then on Thursday, as folks are kind of heading out the door, uh, Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. So Travis is right. It's a that this will be here before we turn around. It's a it's a big event uh, to say the least. But Trav, when you've got uh, what Brian Kelly yeah. uh, that, that, that you're dealing with, Billy Napier, uh, and uh, you've got uh, what will be certainly eventful with Brian Harson after all that he is going through. Uh, always some drama at media days, is it not? Yeah, you know, we talked about the players and the PGA Tour. I kind of look at these as groups. You know, if they're PGA Tour players and they're grouped together uh, to play in events and say first round pairings, first round groupings, I would be. I would be inclined to watch all of these. I would consider all of these to be feature groups because of what you said about Brian Kelly taking over at LSU in that first day on Monday, July the 18th. Lane, there is the possibility for anything to come out of Lane's (laughs) mouth. So you'll want to see that on Monday. And then, of course, Tuesday with Nick Saban. Uh, that goes without saying. Alabama and Nick Saban, they continue to have rock star status at the event. Although, with it being in Atlanta, is this Kirby Smart's party as the defending national champion, the head coach of the George Bulldogs in his own backyard? Now, you know, Kirby hasn't always done so well in Atlanta against Alabama. So maybe Nick still has the edge there uh, with the event in Atlanta, Georgia. But Kirby with Billy Napier in his first year at Florida, and I think, this way too early take I'll have for Billy Napier is that he's not going to wow anybody in the ATL. uh, But I think what you're going to see between now and then is enough of an upgrade in recruiting just in these next three or four months from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier, that that will help with that. Because again, Billy's not going to jump up at the podium and knock anybody's socks off. I don't think. No, no, but the thing that Gator fans want, and you and I both have heard it, is they want more in that W column, don't they, Trav? And Uh, I think things are going to transpire between now and then with an emphasis on recruiting that's going to sort of satisfy that hunger temporarily, at least, you think? 
Well, uh, agree totally. And I think the other thing he's done, he's just upgraded different parts of the program. I, I mean, the mm-hmm. uh, Gator people will tell you that that their nutrition is much better than it was, uh, that they're just more organized. He's got 40 analysts. And obviously, after being with Nick Saban, uh, he certainly has a Saban blueprint that he's applied to Florida and, and, tra- and very quietly and behind the scenes because, uh, and I think Gator fans will appreciate when you stick a microphone in front of Billy Napier's mouth, uh, you, you probably feel a little bit better about what might come out, <laughs> than, but then what Dan Mullen did try. Yeah. A little more, a little more guarded, you know, a little more, uh, aware, self-aware, I think might be the best way to put it with Billy yeah. Napier in comparison <laughs> to Dan Mullen. But yeah, that Tuesday with Saban Leach is always fun. You know, he's going to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the irrelevancy of him and, and what he'll get into, who knows. Uh, Sam Pittman's a good guy at the podium mm-hmm. to go along with Napier and Smart. Mark Stoops, same thing on that Wednesday. And you said it about Thursday, typically being a getaway day where everyone's just sort of making their way out of the – the, uh, the, 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 the event, but man, with Jimbo Fisher and Brian Harson really, uh, on that final day, I, I think people are going to stick around because <laughs> of what you said with Harson and what appeared to be, I don't think it appeared to be, it was an attempt to overthrow his Absolutely. regime, uh, a coup d'etat as it were, that was failed. Uh, and then also with Jimbo and some of his angst there around the late signing period with, uh, a&M success on the recruiting trail and some of the chatter that surrounded that effort for with Jimbo and Jimbo, you know, he typically uh, speaks with a tempo that is hard to keep up with. <laughs> yeah. He might, he might double that. He might go, he might be so fired up. I don't know if, if anybody will be able to transcribe exactly what comes out of Jimbo's mouth. Uh, he'll have a lot to say about that recruiting class. He'll be asked a lot about the quarterback and uh, and, and, and frankly, Travis, and, and I think this is a fair question. Uh, it's, uh, coach, uh, can you talk about the, uh, expectations from, uh, this recruiting class, you being there for a few years as compared to, uh, what that eight and four records also says about your program? I can talk about it, but I won't talk about it. I don't talk about it all day long. You want me to talk about it, but, you know, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about that recruiting class because everybody got a problem with the recruiting class, but nobody got any actual information. Bunch of clowns. Bunch of clowns, Brent. That's all they are. How about that for is that a pretty good that, Jimbo? I think that's very good. And, and, and you know, another guy, <laughs> that, that really, well, that was better than what I thought it would be, frankly. <laughs> the, the, uh, 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 and listen, what about – what about Shane Beamer? I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, listen. Uh, now look, uh, they're they're not going to win the East, but uh, Spencer Rattler and their recruiting class. Uh, is it safe to say there will be expectations at South sure. Carolina? We haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, no doubt. I think Jimbo's going to maybe get asked about the recent arrest of. Damon Demas, the wide receiver for Texas A&M. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out with the former five-star for the Aggies as well. So, Brent, uh, plenty to talk about in terms of as we approach SEC Media Days. Another topic that's probably going to be big throughout the offseason and perhaps even into 
uh, media day season is the reports of attendance drops once again around college football. It's I don't think this is a one-off at this point. No, I mean, we're talking no. about a pretty much stone ironclad trend that we're seeing not only with the SEC but uh, you know around college football and with the SEC uh, lowest attendance numbers since 1999. Oh. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Now, that wow. that's. Now, look, it, it, compared to some others, it may be minuscule, but at the same time, don't think for a minute, Trev, that, uh, that SEC ADs aren't looking at those numbers uh, and where all this is going right now. So, uh, And there are a bunch of reasons for it. I get the big screen, the air conditioner, and the refrigerator, uh, and having to pay more money than people want to pay during that time. There was a survey that came out about a couple of years ago about what fans really wanted in order to get them back. And one of one of those things was, and people laugh at this, but it really is true, they want better connectivity in the stadium. They want better Wi-Fi because they're going to be on their phone. Uh, they also want better seating, i.e., uh, those aluminum bleachers trap aren't real comfortable after four hours sometimes so i think there are a number of things here that really are concerning athletic directors going into the next few years i don't think there's any doubt about it connectivity has been an ongoing issue uh around sec venues i mean you've been in press boxes i've been in press boxes around the sec where sometimes connectivity for the press uh, is an issue, let absolutely. alone being a fan in the stadium. So you can yes. certainly see it from that perspective. But, you know, I still think a lot of this, Brent, goes back to conferences like the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, trying to have their cake and eat it, yeah. too. In other right. words, the advent of conference networks and the high visibility of games uh, in terms of the leagues, every game is on television now, you know, that, that, that motivation to go to the stadium simply because mm-hmm. it was either pay-per-view or go to the game. Sure. Uh, in years past, it's not there. No, there's not the urgency among the fans. You're already paying these fees for the network. Why wouldn't you take advantage of them? And yeah, the amenities certainly come into play as we've talked about here on the podcast in the past access to uh, cold drinks, to food, to just a restroom, I yes, think, is absolutely. You know, it may be the top item for a mm-hmm. lot of people. And technology being what it is. I mean, you got 75-inch televisions you can get at Costco now for 900 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. 75-inch right. yes. televisions at a place like Costco. I was in there the other day. $900. Incredible. Now, do the math on that. And then do the math on, say, four season tickets. Then right. you got to park. Then you go eat at the, the stadium. If you do that, man, it, it just doesn't it doesn't add up, unfortunately, no. for a lot no. of fans, Brent. No, and, and see, another issue, and I hear this all the time, too, is the, the money that you have to give the university just, yeah. to, just, just to have a chance to get tickets. Uh, is one thing, and and then and travel. The unfortunate thing is, 
and with and I'm not being political here. I'm just being realistic. With, with right right now where we are with the price of gas, with inflation and so forth, my my concern it is, is what it is. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that that Trav, this is a luxury for people, and some of these folks are going going to be saying for various reasons uh, that um, uh, well, this may be something that we just can't do this year and save that money for uh, something else. Now I, I now I do think. That when we do uh, finally expand for the playoffs, that with some of the excitement of getting what either eight or twelve, likely twelve, uh, that you've got more fan bases who would be excited middle late year because well we may be going the playoffs so I want to go see that game so but uh, listen that this is this is a tricky situation right now uh, as far as. Uh, and I've heard it like you have again, uh, especially traveling and people who are 40, 50, 60, and 70 years old in that I can't quite do it anymore. And, and the, the being at home as compared to being out on a 90 to 95 degree day, right. uh, uh, you, you know, who's going to win that argument and where they're going to go. Yeah. The ESPN money tells you or another network, but typically it's ESPN, especially where the sec is concerned. ESPN via the sec network tells you you're going to play at 11 AM on an early September Saturday. Right. Right. Because you took the money from ESPN. So they're going to tell you when you're going to play. Meanwhile, you're also trying to tell your fans, Hey, we need you to be at the stadium at 11 (laughs) AM on September the 5th. Right. You know, when it's going to be 7,000 degrees or even worse, maybe three central. That's worse than even the 11 AM game. So again, it goes back to leagues thought, well, we'll just, we'll tap every revenue stream to the max and the money will just keep coming. And the money for the most part is certainly gone way, way up for a league like the Southeastern conference, but it's definitely impacted attendance and something else is the neutral site games. You know, you're losing a lot in some instances like Alabama, you've lost essentially a home game of, of attendance. Um, you know, to a neutral site game. And we're going to see some of that maybe start to go away with more home and homes, Alabama, obviously among them. Uh, I know Florida, we're going to talk about playing Utah at home coming up here uh, in just a little bit, but just things to consider in relation to the continued trend of attendance dropping around college football. What about Kirk Herbstreet, Brent? There's been a lot of buzz surrounding the ESPN talent here of late that perhaps he could be looking to make the jump. A decision Herbie never had to worry about at Ohio State making the jump to the NFL. Maybe he's got to consider it now. Well, uh, he is certainly being looked at. Now, people may not understand this uh, yet, uh, is the NFL on Thursday nights, and Trev, help me on this, I think this starts this coming season. Amazon. yeah, they're going to be on Amazon. And now for what you and I do, I'm going to be very interested if college football is able to beef up their Thursday night. But for what Travis is talking about, certainly some reports 
about Kurt Herbstreet uh, that will he go on Thursday night and be their analyst for the NFL games. Now, he and, uh, uh, and Chris, I know, have done some together, uh, Chris Fowler, and they were good uh, yeah. as far as on the NFL games. Now, Herbie makes $6 million a year, which yeah. is easily one of the, uh, uh, the the guys who gets paid the most for ESPN. Now, now I, Trav, I like Herbie's deal, though. I like what you're probably going to tell us next yes. in terms of how his deal is written with ESPN that allows him to do the NFL with another entity, according to your notes here, while also continuing to do college games for ESPN. Now, you know, logistically, that would seem to be tough, although I would say guys like Troy Aikman, you see on Thursday Night Football, or have, and then turn right around and work Sundays too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, when you go from Saturday to Sunday, uh, that's a little different time frame, although I'd also tell you, a guy like Gene Deckerhoff, is a guy that comes to mind, yeah, the, the long time right. voice of the Florida State Seminoles. Yes. I know he's done Florida State on mm-hmm. Saturdays and then de- uh, done the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks on Sundays. Right. Uh, Florida State on Saturdays, Tampa Bay on Sunday. So I guess there's ways that, that you could make this happen for Herbie. I, I think part of this, too, uh, is a fact. Um, that his sons, I believe, are Grown. older, uh, are older yeah. now, and, and they're probably out of the house, yep. which would make a difference because people may not realize this, but if you're doing a Thursday night NFL or college game, Trav, you're on site Wednesday, right? Uh, because you've got to uh, you've got to talk to coaches and players and so forth. So for Herbie, you're basically talking about. Uh, especially if his kids were younger and they're, and again, they're not, he would be gone from what at least Wednesday through Sunday, correct? Yeah, probably. I think Thursday you can get in for a Saturday game. Uh, but then you still have to factor in your preparation for an NFL game on Sunday. So do you go to the college site Thursday, but then you have to jump to the NFL site yeah. on Friday, back to right. the college game Saturday, yeah. you know, Lear Jets can help yeah. with a lot of the logistics. I think that's something that already benefits uh, ESPN top talent like Kirk Herbstreet. But, you know, I always hear about this empty nest situation for <laughs> folks and it leading to them taking on more work. I, I'm just not that way. It feels like to <laughs> me anyway, as my nest gets emptier, yeah. I don't know about you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like my workload decreasing. I like to do, I guess, some other things. But, you know, for a lot of folks, you're right. Um, when the home life sort of lightens up a little bit, uh, you, you've got the the availability goes up for guys like Kirk Herbstreet. Well, it, it will be interesting to uh, see what he does. I mean, he's certainly one of the best. But, the, Travis, the other thing that fascinates me with this, and people really need to get ready for this, uh, is – um, and, and again, I wonder how pops will deal with stuff like this, but, uh, the, the, the different venues that we're going to be able to watch games, Trav, 
yeah. over the next few years. And I mean, we're just starting with this right now. Uh, and as for and people need to also understand with the negotiations for the college football player playoff expanding, Trev, this is not going to be limited anymore to CBS or ESPN or Fox. Uh, the, the the streaming entities no. and this are going to be heavily involved, are they not? You know, you mentioned Pops. I recently, we went to dinner together, a <laughs> uh, local pizza joint. And Pops, among other teams, is a huge fan of the Jacksonville University Dolphins. Right. Uh, it goes back a long, long time. Mm-hmm. JU actually had some Final Four teams like in the early that's 70s right. with sure Artis Gilmore. And so that's that's his formative years coming into play a lot of that but we were at dinner he was wanting to keep up with ju (laughs) and unf basketball yes yes and i pulled out my phone at dinner uh hit it on espn plus and pull up the game i mean i've got the game you know on the stream right and so he's able to watch it blew his mind he had never (laughs) seen espn plus before and pops Pop still had a flip phone at the time, yes. a burner at that cricket <laughs> service for Pops. When he saw that, the next day, he had a smartphone with ESPN <laughs> Plus on it, with YouTube TV on it. He yes. got his. He had a smart TV on his back porch. He didn't even know it was smart. It had smart capabilities. So now he's got ESPN Plus on the outdoor TV. He's got. He's essentially cut the cord. Within 48 hours after I showed him UNFJU <laughs> basketball on ESPN Plus. But you're right, man. There's just so many different avenues that we already have. And we're just, it seems like, yes. getting started in terms of content consumption and uh, the outlets from which we will uh, partake in that. Hey, let's get into some spring football questions for SEC teams. Uh, I know you've got this in your notes as well. Uh, you can start with Alabama. I know there's a lot of talk about, again, the grad transfer or the transfer in general impact on Alabama football. Cherry picking, once again, Alabama. Jameer Gibbs at running back. Elias Ricks, um, you know, there at the, the running back position. Certainly, uh, you highlight with, with those guys first and foremost, but uh, for Alabama, is, is the arrival of these kind of guys as big a question as you have for Alabama, or is it maybe more about the offensive line and trying to get that situation settled? I think it's more with the offensive line. I think they're going to be fine at running back. And, and look, I've, I've heard, I'm sure you have too, that, that Gibbs – um, once he got on campus and started practicing, and it, it was obviously yeah. limited in terms of time, that he was sensational. Uh, I, I mean, it was uh, the accolades for Gibbs were just unbelievable. So that's going to be fascinating to see where that's going. But I, look, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Doug Marone is gone. Kentucky is an offensive line coach. Wolford's coming over. Uh, I, look, I, particularly after last year, travel with the pressure that Bryce Young got during the year, uh, the number of sacks, and also sometimes when the running game was limited, uh, the, the offensive line will be a question this entire spring and summer. Yeah, and you talk about Georgia, you're obviously going to look at the losses on the defensive side of the ball, N'Kobe Dean, 
right there in the middle of that defense at Mike linebacker, but the guys in front of him, literally and figuratively, some big, yes. big shoes to fill with Devontae Wyatt moving on and also Jordan Davis. Uh, Jalen Carter is the name uh, that we kind of hearing more and more about who could really be uh, very impactful. Uh, but, but look, speaking of guys up front, man, it's always about the uh, – uh, the offensive and defensive line in the trial. And, and, and look, uh, Bulldog fans, uh, Stacey Serrell's the new hire as offensive yeah. line coach well, with man, Matt Luke. Uh, help me translate this, Trav. Dog fans not happy with Serrell saying, now look, he's been around at Texas and Virginia Tech and Miami and North Carolina. Do we trust this guy when he's been on, been uh, at so many different places? I think this is one of those things you trust your head coach uh, with the hire that he made. But that's good. That that's going to be very fascinating with the losses of Luke and the players ahead on that line too. Yeah, Searles at one point not too long ago. He was as talked about as an offensive line coach as, say, Sam Pittman was. He was, wasn't he? Those were the guys that you you heard the most about, really. Uh, maybe Neil Calloway, also yes. in that mix, previously right. at the University of Georgia himself. So I think it's a solid hire with Stacey Searles. He's been around a little bit. I think he made some moves a couple of moves ago that he thought at the time were going to be you know, very beneficial mm-hmm. to his path didn't maybe work out that way, but I like the addition of Searles. I think they're going to be just fine there. What about Florida at quarterback? Uh, Emory Jones still a real factor in that mix. Brent, we have a transfer addition from Ohio State, Joe Burrow style. I think Gator fans hope yeah. anyway. What are we thinking about Billy Napier's first quarterback in Gainesville? Uh, well, and, and, and will Anthony Richardson be the guy they yeah. think? They think that might be a possibility. I, I think what you've got here, there's no way in the world. Uh, look, he, he's a good guy. He's a good student. Uh, it, uh, Billy Napier said that Emory Jones is, uh, he's done everything he's asked him to do. But let's be honest, uh, unless they have a real incredible transformation with him, uh, I think they're going to be looking for uh, the, the, a new quarterback. Miller is interesting, uh, certainly. We don't quite know where that's going to go uh, right now, but that's a that's a huge question with them, too. Uh, but and, and I can tell you this, uh, and, and you've already picked up on this, I'm sure, some of those running backs the Gators had last year rarely ever utilized <laughs> in that Dan Mullen offense uh, come the draft. Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions about Gator running backs from this past year and the ones coming back. Yeah, no doubt about it. How about Ole Miss? You want to talk about transfer portal uh, proficiency? Uh it seems Lane Kiffin's got it down to a science now. He goes to SC for both a quarterback and a tight end. Zach Evans, the running back from TCU, comes over. Uh, boy, it the possibilities anyway look pretty good in terms of having to replace Matt Corral and all of that offensive firepower that has moved on to the NFL. 
Yeah, uh, and some of the guys you mentioned, uh, Zach Evans, very undervalued at TCU. Uh, a lot of excitement with him. Michael Trigg at tight end to go along with, with Jackson Dart uh, is a, uh, a possibility. There's some thought that the offensive line uh, was going to be better. That, that would be something to look for uh, in, the, in the spring during that time. I, I was intrigued to see a, a, something with Ole Miss that they have, I, I don't know if I'm this, this nearly a surprise, but I think it's a real positive for Lane that they have dedicated $11 million to Lane and Trav, the staff uh, also. Uh, and, and this is one thing you, you're seeing more of, and coaches will mention this, is it's not just them getting a raise uh, personally, but how much money do I have to deal with my staff? Exactly. You want to play for big boy prizes? You got to come with the big boy cash. That's in right. In terms of staff, facilities, everything that goes with it. Before we get out of here on second helping, Brent, let's go over these non-conference games of note for the month of September not too far off in the distance here. And we talked about Utah at Florida. To me, that's maybe the most underrated yes. or under the radar games uh, that you'll that you'll consider here. And what I like about a lot of these games for September is that they're home and homes. I guess yes. what, Georgia, Oregon, mm-hmm. that's a neutral site situation. That'll be interesting, right? Dan Lanning. It will be. In his first year going against his old boss and Kirby Smart, but a lot of these games on campus, which I think we all like to see. Uh, look, and I've, I've told people uh, in doing some segments with uh, folks affiliated with Florida, they really need to watch this Utah game because Utah yep. right now, uh, Florida's not there yet, and Utah is like playing an SEC team as far as the physicality on the offensive line. Uh, but Alabama, Texas – uh, people forgot about Miami and Texas A&M and, and Trump. Uh, how about Sam Pittman that you mentioned a few minutes ago? That Cincinnati game is a nice one, too, in Fayetteville. It is. And you're right about Utah. Kyle Whittingham is as SEC of a coach as you'll ever see. He really is. In the Pac-12. They are physical. They will strike you. They play fast. And I think Utah is sort of being disrespected. in terms of the arrival of Lincoln Riley at SC. When we look at Riley going out there and we sort of concede the Pac-12 moving forward to the Trojans, as we had done for so many years, say, back in the Pete Carroll era, I think Kyle Whittingham kind of likes that. you know, And I think that's going to be motivation for the Utes, not only in the league, but as you said, to open the season with a statement, perhaps, against an SEC team on its home field that, hey, there's more to the Pac-12 than just Lincoln yeah. Riley oh, yeah. or maybe even, say, Oregon. So that is a very intriguing matchup. You know, Bill Riley, a friend of ours, yes. is the play-by-play voice for the Utes of Utah. Sure is. And I recently offered Billy my services as a <laughs> spotter for that game. And Excellent. you know what? He, he said – he wanted pops instead. <laughs> and among the options that he had to choose from, I was actually fourth. I wasn't oh, even on the no. medalist stand. Yeah, Billy. Come on. I thought we were pals. Really? Yeah. 
So there you go. No, but some other games, obviously, Alabama, Texas, that could have some impact on Arch Manning, I guess you could Absolutely. say, because it looks like Arch Manning very much interested in both the Crimson Tide and the Texas Longhorns. I've been told of late that if Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns show some improvement, just improvement mm-hmm. here in the next season, Arch Manning's a good bet to end up in Austin. But if it goes south, Perhaps it could be Alabama where the next Manning hangs his hat at the collegiate level. Uh, and another thing to think, keep in mind here, and then, and then I heard this was going to be a possibility, have not seen it, that it's it, it's a definitely a done deal. But, Trav, there was talk about David Cutcliffe yeah. uh, going to Texas as that would not hurt, would it? No, in an analyst role, Cutcliffe, obviously at Duke, at Tennessee, uh, uh, is is frankly best friends with the Mannings. No uh, doubt. So that that's something I think, and and frankly, Trav, whether it gets done or not, uh, for Sarkeesian to even consider that is a shrewd move, is it not? Well, Cut was Peyton's offensive coordinator at Tennessee. That's right. And he was Eli's head coach at Ole yes. Miss. So, yeah. And in off seasons, you would see Peyton and I think Eli go to Durham and actually mm-hmm. work out with Cutcliffe when he was at Duke. So uh, shrewd, I guess, the best way to put that potential move by Sark. And I do like Miami at Texas A&M, by the way as a September matchup. That one's set for, I think it's week three, actually. It's not week one or week two, which makes it interesting. Mario Cristobal going to go out to College Station and take on Jimbo and the Aggies. Anything else, Brent, as we get out of here? Yeah, I have two questions here. One, uh, a major one, and one, a minor one. I'll give the minor one first. Uh, We mentioned Pops a couple times. The question begs to be answered. Trev, uh, we had Valentine's Day, not too far uh, in the rearview mirror. Did Pop step up his game for Valentine's Day? You no, know, I've actually got I've I've got a uh, video answer to that question from Pops. I'm going to have to tweet that out. He got Popsed. It was awesome. He actually did step it up for Nana on Valentine's Day this year. But to Nana's credit, you know what? She got Pops. What's that? Skittles, which Pops <laughs> has gotten Nana in the past. So Pops got Pops. Oh, Good my. on Nana. Nana that's, got him. Love that's, it. that's tremendous. Yeah. Trav, the big question to me in this, uh, and as we get closer to Saturday, uh, it will uh, pretty much dominate uh, Coach K at Duke's last game at Cameron. Yep. Uh, I, I, look, that, that there would be an incredible amount of emotion there. But I think I think also along with this, Trav, this is a really good basketball team. I, I think some people have been maybe surprised by Duke, how they have overwhelmed the ACC. Certainly interested. Um, I know you, you've been a long-time uh, uh, K follower, uh, and and appreciate what he's done, uh, boy. The emotions on Saturday, I think, will be simply incredible. Uh, that that we can't ignore. But my question to you too is, how far can this Duke team go this year in the tournament? Well, they're talented enough to win it all. I don't think anybody doubts that. So, um, you know, and it's been a little while since they've done that. So the timing couldn't be better. I think again, in terms of 
the ingredients needed to make it especially memorable in Kay's final run. They've got that. They've got the pieces. Um, you know, it's just so difficult in the NCAA tournament because even for teams like Duke, it largely comes down to the draw matchups and sort of your path. And so, you know, I think the selection committee, it wouldn't surprise me if Duke is a one to see Kentucky as a two Mm -hmm. in that same region, because think about, well, the game in Philadelphia, uh, 30 years ago now, crazy to think that the Christian Leitner buzzer beater at the old spectrum in Philadelphia is pretty much 30 years uh, in the rearview mirror, uh, Kentucky and Duke have obviously had some memorable matchups. Uh, so the path uh, in the NCAA tournament, you, you just can't predict it. But no, as far as just personnel, uh, they've got what you need to yeah. do it. And look, you know, they've already um, they've ended the longest regular season title drought uh, in the ACC for uh a Coach K team, and uh, it was 2010, I think, the last time Duke won the regular season title in the ACC. That's amazing. It's kind of crazy to think about that. I mean, think about Nick Saban not winning, you know, the SEC, winning an SEC title for 11 or 12 years. You know, that that that's kind of crazy to think about. But, um, no, they can do it. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it'll be interesting because Duke is very much a polarizing that, sure. uh, program as we know like the yankees in baseball yeah, like yeah. alabama and football um you know their place atop as a brand in college basketball is something millions of people have embraced and millions of people have rejected no doubt about that <laughs> always enjoy it brent great to get Me back too, together bud. absolutely look forward to next time Absolutely. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us here on Second Helping. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us. Simple as a click or two. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, we would appreciate that as well. For Brent, Travis, thanking you once again. Until next time, so long, everybody.